0: Good morning, church family. If you have your copy of God's Word, um, please turn to Matthew chapter 27, and together we're going to read verses 11 through 26.
1: And and at this time, if you're a child here today, we've got volunteers waiting for you in the back. You can go ahead and head on to class, you can be seated.
0: What an honor to read God's Word together, and I would just like to remind us that this is God's holy, divine, inspired word um, that comes to us just as if Jesus himself is talking to us. Matthew 27, starting in verse 11. Now Jesus stood before the governor, and the governor asked him, are you the king of the Jews? Jesus said, you said so. But when he was accused by the chief priests and elders He gave no answer. Then Pilate said to him, Do you not hear how many things they testify against you? But he gave him no answer, not even to a single charge, so that the governor was greatly amazed. Now, at the feast, the governor was accustomed to release for the crowd any one prisoner whom they wanted. And they had then a notorious prisoner called Barabbas. So when they had gathered, Pilate said to them, whom do you want me to release for you? Barabbas or Jesus, who is called the Christ? For he knew that it was out of envy they had delivered him up. Besides, he was sitting on the judgment seat and his wife sent word to him, have nothing to do with that righteous man, for I have suffered much because of him today in a dream. Now the chief priests and the elders persuaded the crowd to ask for Barabbas and destroy Jesus. The governor again said to them, "Which of these two do you want me to release for you?" And they said, "Barabbas." And Pilate said to them, "Then what shall I do with Jesus, who is called Christ?" They all said, "Let him be crucified." And he said, what evil has he done? But they shouted all the more, let him be crucified. So when Pilate saw that he was gaining nothing, but rather that a riot was beginning, he took water and he washed his hands before the crowd saying, I am innocent of this man's blood. See to it yourselves. And all the people answered, his blood be on us and our children. Then he released for them Barabbas and having scourged Jesus, delivered him to be crucified. This is the word of the Lord.
1: Thanks be to God. Well, if you've been with us over the past few weeks, we've been in a series uh, called Justice Kingdoms and Politics. And uh, we've spent a lot of time talking about uh, this drawing that uh, I've been putting out for you, uh, and we've been a lot of time, spent a lot of time talking about these these two axes, the kind of systems of this world or kingdoms of man axes, and I'm not going to go through them today, but if you've been with us, uh, or if you've missed the past couple of weeks, I'd encourage you to go back and listen on the podcast or, or check it out on YouTube. Um, and, but then we've also been talking about, we spent a lot of time last week talking about this axis, the the kingdom of God, and 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 if you heard anything last week, I, I hope you heard that who you are on this axis, who you are as a citizen of the kingdom of Christ, is most ultimate in your life. It far outweighs who you are in terms of any system of man. We spent a lot of time talking about what the kingdom of God is, and I think a lot of people think you know the kingdom of God or the kingdom of Christ. It's this thing that's out there that's coming and, and one day it is true it is certain that Christ will reign fully and that his reign will be fully known in all places and among all people fully but the best way to understand the kingdom of Christ is that it is the reign of Christ wherever the reign of Christ is the kingdom of Christ is there and so if Christ is reigning in your life if Christ is reigning in your household, if Christ is reigning in our church, then the kingdom of Christ is, is here now, It's present here and now. And one of the things, again, that, that, that I, I hope you have gotten through this whole series is that how you influence this people this way or this way is so much more important than how you influence people this way or this way. But we do have to live on this plane. We we do have responsibilities on this plane. We have a stewardship on this plane. And so what I want to look at today is kind of how do we how does who we are on the kingdom of God plane kind of affect how we understand who we are on this plane? Uh, if Jesus were voting, how would he vote? And I think this passage actually gives us a lot to think about toward that end. We looked at a passage kind of like this last week. It was the same kind of story. It's about the death, the trial of Jesus. We were in a different gospel though, John 18. Uh, but Pilate again was kind of in the center of the story. Pilate's a fascinating character and, and, and he, we can actually learn a lot by considering uh, his interaction with Jesus in this passage. So three things I wanna look at, Jesus's answer, the crowd's choice, and Pilate's responsibility. Jesus' answer, the crowd's choice, and Pilate's responsibility. First, let's look at Jesus' answer. When the the founders of America, the framers of America were kind of creating the country, they were very concerned with something that is an incredible American freedom that I think we, we often take for granted, and that is the freedom of conscience. They, they wanted people to be able to believe what they believed was true, uh, not just free to live where you want to live or start a business or free to do those kinds of things, but actually to, to have certain beliefs that you saw were true and right and good, even if you were in the minority. This year, actually, is the 400th anniversary of the Mayflower, uh, and it's a fascinating thing to think about. The, the Mayflower, the, the folks that came over on the Mayflower, um, they, they actually set forth a document, the Mayflower Compact, which actually ended up being very influential toward the Declaration of Independence, toward the Constitution of the United States. But it set forth some ideals that, that are very foundational to who we are as Americans. Now, what's interesting about the pilgrims, though, is they were... Coming to America, they were coming to this new land, they were risking their lives, and you know half more than half of the passengers on the Mayflower died so this is an incredibly risky and courageous thing to do to come to America, but one of the motivations their their chief motivation was what i 'm talking about here freedom of conscience and and they wanted to be able to worship God the way they saw fit now now what 's interesting if you don 't you know know this they were they were fleeing uh They were fleeing kind of a very strict system in England. Now, you might say, well, hold on. What was going on in England? Here's what's fascinating. The king that they were getting away from was actually King James, right? As in the King James Bible, okay? So that's fascinating. I mean, this is a guy that I think most of us as Christians would be like, oh, James, the King James Bible, yeah. But these pilgrims did not like the religious oppression, or I guess you could call it structure, that was in place in England at the time, they wanted to be able to worship the Lord the way that they saw fit. They wanted to be able to follow truth, not dictated by a sovereign ruler. And that's an amazing thing that we have long held to as Americans, freedom of conscience. Now, of course, we are a democracy, so the majority of people will make decisions and you may disagree with those decisions, but that's what's amazing is you can disagree with the whole majority and still have every right that every other citizen has. That's an amazing thing that we believe. And it's something that most people throughout human history have not enjoyed. Now, that was a little aside, but what's amazing here, I just wanna kind of use that in contrast. What's going on here? is here you have Jesus in a position where it was not a culture that celebrated freedom of conscience. It was not a culture that celebrated unique ideas. And here Jesus is on trial, not for stealing from someone. He's not on trial because he murdered someone. He's not on trial because he refused to pay taxes. No, he's on trial because Jesus really led people to think differently than the status quo. He led people to start following him and to start seeing him as actually more authoritative than the other religious leaders of the time. He opened people's eyes to see real corruption among the religious leaders and the government officials of his time. And people started to believe that Jesus, these Jewish people started to believe that Jesus actually was the Messiah and the religious leaders hated it. Now, what's so interesting about this, what's so ironic about this is that the whole Jewish system is built off of messianic hope, right? The the whole Old Testament really is framed around this coming victor, this coming Messiah that will set the people free, that will bring God's reign, God's um, goodness to the people. The whole system is built off this messianic hope, and then here comes Jesus. And he's doing all these messianic things. He's healing sick people. He's bringing the recovery of sight to the blind. He's bringing liberty to the captive. And people believe, oh, this must be the Messiah. But these religious leaders, the people that were most astute in the teaching of the Old Testament, they don't like it. It's as if Jesus didn't ask their permission to be the Messiah. It's as if they were the ones that could say who was and who was not the Messiah. And of course they didn't like it because Jesus was calling out their obvious corruption. And so here Jesus is being insulted. He's being accused. Now, if you don't understand what's happening here, what is he being accused of? What's happening And Mark, the gospel of Mark actually gives us a little more insight here. They're trying to get him to take back the things that he said. They're trying to get him to recant. They're trying to get him to say, I'm not the Christ. You know, he had said stuff, and we see this in Mark. He had said stuff like, if you tear down the temple, I will rebuild it in three days. That outraged them. He said things like, I am the Christ. He said things like, before Abraham was, I am. And these people are saying, you gotta take that back. You you say you can't raise the temple. Say you are not the Christ. Say you are not greater than Abraham. But he doesn't. He stands there while they're accusing him silent. He doesn't break. He has poise. He shows an enormous courage here. And here's the reason. It's because Jesus was living on a different plane. His authority didn't come from them saying that he had authority. His identity didn't come from them saying that he had identity. No, no. He was living on a different plane. His kingdom was not of this world. But, but he also wasn't so argumentative here. He didn't have to be self-defensive. He didn't like try to start a revolution right there. He didn't talk back. No, he was confident who he was and in what he was saying was true and right. He shows an amazing amount of poise and courage here that I think should be true of us. My daughter, Imriana, who's eight, has come to faith. Uh, we believe that she is a believer. She's trusting in Jesus and... We're so excited, and she's wanting to get baptized. In fact, we thought about um, letting her be baptized last week. But I told Paige, I said, "Look, I really want to have like one more conversation with her. You guys are so amazing, and our kids team is so amazing that you know I didn't want her to, to, to. I don't want her to be self-deceived in any way. I want to be very careful with this. And I would." I would encourage all parents in the same way. I believe in the genuineness of faith, but I just wanted to make sure this is genuinely coming from her heart. And it's not something she's just doing because there's a lot of great people around her that are Christians. And that's going to be rightly celebrated when she makes uh, a decision of faith. Of course, we should celebrate these things, but I just wanted to, I kind of wanted to give her the, hey, Amrianna, you know, it may not always be this way. Your faith may be challenged. Of course, she has friends that aren't believers and understands the realities of that but i said you know you may be in an environment that it's really hard to hold on to these things you 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 may people may think you're kind of crazy for believing these things i said you know like maybe you go to college one day and you go to a college and there's only like two or three other believers in the school and are you gonna be able to stand up for your faith and she stopped me and she said only two or three other christians in the whole school And I said, yeah, you know, what would you do? And she said, well, I don't want to go to a college like that. And then she said, I want to go to Auburn. (laughs) And I thought, that's a good answer. No, but, you know, there was something in, (laughs) there was something in her answer, though, that was very wise. She, you know, it's as if she's telling me, look, Dad, I love Jesus. I want to follow him, and I know that I need to be around his people. I want to be in an environment like that. I want to be in an environment where I'm not, you know, out on an island. I want to be in an environment where I'm regularly receiving God's word, and and I can be framed by these things. And I think what I'm trying to tell you is this: What's framing you? What's framing you? You know, Jesus. He's so secure in who he is that he can withstand the crowd. He can stay silent as he's being accused. But, but what's framing you? Are, are you is Jesus really reigning in your life, as I said last week? Are you really framed by that? Is he framing your truth? Is the word of God framing your truth? Do you do you know who you are because you've spent time with God and with God's people? Or Are you being framed by the crowd? Yeah, I'm I'm afraid that a lot of Christians, God forbid, even members of our church are spending 15 minutes a week reading their Bible, but 15 hours a week watching cable news or consuming secular media. And, And if that's true of you, you're gonna have a hard time convincing me that you're being more framed By God and who you are in Christ, than by the crowd, by what the world has to say. I'm afraid that in our church, there's no nuance in our conversations. I'm I'm afraid that we never have conversations with people that disagree with us. I'm afraid that we never, we don't have people in our lives that challenge our worldview. Are you being framed, are you being formed by the crowd? Or do you really have the poise that comes by being formed by the Lord? You know, I mentioned this in the talk back last week, um, but I was having a conversation with a friend of mine who's, he's very fearful. You know, it, he's, he's one of these guys that's kind of prone to, to really go down the, the rabbit hole. And, you know, I asked him, I said, look, bring up all these fears and this is gonna happen and that's gonna happen. I said, look, man, what are you doing to change the culture right in front of you. You know, are, are you discipling anyone in your church? No. You know, are you engaged in a ministry in a community where you can serve people that are different from you? No. Are you running for office? Are you engaging in the political system? No. What are you doing? And really it just came down to, he's just, reading more blog sites. And I said, you know, don't you see what's happening to you? Don't you see what's going on? You know, Blake and I have talked about this on the talkback also. We live in a world where the crowd is so loud and it's so easy to pay so much attention to the big story that's going on out there that you miss the human being that is right in front of your face. That you miss the voice of the Lord that speaks to you in stillness and when you spend time in his word. And look, this will lead God's people to be fearful and anxious and ultimately worthless. C.S. Lewis wrote this famous little book called The Screwtape Letters. And it's basically these letters from one demon to another, if you've never read it. It's a great, you should read it. It's a great book to read. And the older demon is named Screwtape and he's writing to his nephew named Wormwood. And they have, they call it the patient. The patient is some guy that's become a Christian and they're trying to make him worthless. And Screwtape writes this, my dear Wormwood, be sure the patient remains completely fixated on politics, arguments, political gossip, and obsessing on the faults of people that they have never met. This serves as an excellent distraction from advancing in personal virtue, character, and the things that the patient actually can control. Make sure to keep the patient in a constant state of angst, frustration, and general disdain toward the rest of the human race in order to avoid any kind of charity or inner peace from further developing. Ensure the patient continues to believe that the problem is out there in the broken system rather than recognizing that there is a problem within himself. Keep up the good work, Uncle Screwtape. And what we learn from the answer of Jesus, I want you to hear this, amidst great noise and great pressure from the crowd is that he knew who he was because he loved God's people, because he delighted in God's word, because he delighted in communion with the Father. What is framing your understanding of truth? Do you look more like Jesus does here or do you look more like the crowd? So the answer of Jesus. The second thing I wanna look at here is the answer or the crowd's choice. Now this is also very fascinating. All of the gospel writers deal with this whole Barabbas scene, but Matthew spends the most time with it. I think Matthew sees the irony of it. Pilate, again, fascinating character. He knows Jesus is innocent. You know, he's a smart guy. He knows that these guys are after him because they're envious of him. And beyond this, his wife had come to him. She had a dream. Now, this is fascinating to me. You know, I was having a conversation with some buddies this week about looking forward to the kingdom because you'll know. Like one of the re- things I'm so excited to be in the presence of God uh, for is just because you, there won't be all these mysteries. Like what did Pilate's wife dream about? One day we'll know. One day we'll, we'll know that. But anyway, she has this dream. She was bothered. And so Pilate's like, look, I, <laughs> I gotta do something here. And so he, he comes up with a great plan. It was customary on the Passover. It's just a sign of God's generosity. It's a sign of God's grace that you would release one prisoner. And so Barab- and so, Pilate's like, look, I got a, I got the idea. There's this guy, Barabbas, and he's the worst. He's the worst prisoner. He's a robber. He's a thief. He's a murderer. He does all these horrible things. If I put Jesus, who's basically innocent, he's said a few crazy things, but if I put Jesus, this righteous man, up against Barabbas, then the people will surely free Jesus, and then I will be clean from this man. Now the irony here is the name Barabbas. He basically says to them, Should I free Barabbas? Now the name Barabbas, Bar Abba, which is basically means the son of a father, the son of a man. (laughs) Or Jesus, he says, who is the Christ? The Christ means the anointed one of God. You can almost read it as if Pilate is saying, do you want Barabbas, the son of a man, or Jesus, the son of God? And you know the story. They say, give us the son of a man. Give us Barabbas. What should I do with Jesus? Crucify him. I think this can be very revealing to us. Hear this church. The criminal was less threatening to them He was less upending to them than Jesus was. You know, a lot of people don't want the real Jesus to actually reign in your life. You like a version of Jesus that you can control that says what you want him to say. You like that Jesus. But the real Jesus who wants to be a king, who wants to control you, That Jesus is actually pretty terrifying. You know, Barabbas, they could control. After all, Barabbas, he had done all this stuff. They said, release him. Now he was going to owe them big time. They weren't worried about Barabbas. But Jesus, and Jesus is a king, he doesn't really fit any crowd. He wants your complete loyalty, he can't be manipulated. And I want you to hear this in terms of this conversation. Real Christianity, the real Jesus, has always bothered people on the right and people on the left. He doesn't neatly fit into any political system. You start talking about what Jesus says about sexuality, marriage, about individual responsibility, people on the left get a little nervous. You start saying what Jesus had to say about care for the poor and the vulnerable, the foreigner. People on the right can get nervous. They chose Barabbas. Barabbas, we can control him. He's gonna owe us, but Jesus, we can't control. He upends us. He is a threat to our system. So we better crucify him, at least to Jesus like that. And I just wanna say, is Jesus really king of your life? Is he really reigning in your life? And if he is He will bother you sometimes. As I said in the first week, you know, if you never find yourself disagreeing with something the Lord asks you to do or being uncomfortable with something that the Lord asks you to do, then you're not really worshiping the Lord. You have some idol that you call Jesus. But the real Jesus, he's a king. He comes in, he rules. He asks for our loyalty even when it's hard to give. Is Jesus really the king of your life? Or are you more like the crowd? Just just give me the son of a man. Don't give me the son of God. But this is what it means to be a Christian, to bow the knee to Jesus, to recognize his reign and authority in your life. And if if we get there, if we find that, then we can engage on this plane. So the last thing I wanna talk to you about is Pilate's choice. Look at verse 24 with me. So when Pilate saw that he was gaining nothing, but rather a riot was beginning, he took water, he washed his hands before the crowd and he said, I'm innocent of this man's blood, see it to yourselves. And all the people answered, sure, his blood be on us and on our children. Then he released for them Barabbas, and having scourged Jesus, he delivered him over to be crucified. Last year, I read um, just some of the lynching accounts from the Jim Crow era. And what struck me about the accounts is a lot of times the stories um, of some of the lynch mobs were a lot like this. It would be a guy that maybe was wrongfully locked up or maybe even rightfully locked up. But a mob would get so angry that they would overwhelm the sheriff. They would overwhelm the justice system. And, 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 the, and, and there's all these stories of these sheriffs or uh, you know, police officers basically kind of saying, oh, you know, and then letting the crowd take over. And you find yourself in looking at this being very frustrated with kind of the justice system and how they handled those situations. The same kind of way that you find yourself here being frustrated with Pilate, he knew it was right. He had a responsibility, and yet he washed his hands of it. Now, of course, in God's providence, God used all of this, brought brought all about these evil things to bring about the greatest thing, salvation for the church of Jesus. But, man, it's it's frustrating to see. He didn't have the courage to, to actually fulfill his responsibility. And I want you to hear this. You know, it's easy for us citizens to kind of say, well, it's it's their fault, it's the leader's fault, it's the system's fault. But look, in a democratic republic like ours, it's a government of the people. It's our responsibility to make these decisions. We are the government. This is not a monarchy. We, we actually have a say. We actually have a stewardship, a responsibility. And that is huge. And I just wanna say, I, I know that it's difficult to know the right thing to do. And again, my, my job here today is not to tell you how you should vote or how I am going to vote. I wanna frame these things for you. I wanna anchor you in Christ. I only have one king that I serve. And as you are anchored in him, I, I trust that you'll be able to to choose wisely here, but I do want you to know that this is a weighty responsibility that you carry and one that you should take seriously. I don't think a Christian can kind of take the election off. Now, that doesn't mean that you can't vote for a third party. You can, but you have to do so with intentionality because you believe that and that's the right thing to do. I think God has laid a responsibility, a stewardship, Upon us, And I just want to say, this is always going to be difficult for Christians because we're Christians. As I just said, the the, the right's always going to be frustrated with the kingdom of God and the left's always going to be frustrated with the kingdom of God. But what I want to walk through with you, just to help you, and this is just pastorally, as you think about this office, are really the roles, and again, this is true of every election, but obviously with the presidential election looming, just a few things to think through. First of all, the president is to be the chief citizen. In other words, he or she is a model for every other citizen. President is the chief of state, which means he or she is the leader of the country. In many ways, the chief teacher, the chief morale setter. So as you think through these, who? this is how you should think about this. Who is going to do the best job there? Who's going to honor what we believe as Christians there. The president is the chief diplomat of the United States, a global representative. Most of the world will understand our country through the lens of what the president represents. The president is the commander-in-chief. He or she has responsibility in keeping our country's citizens safe. It's an incalculable responsibility to be the commander of the strongest military in the world. The president is the chief executive. When you elect a president, you don't just hire one person, you hire thousands of people, the whole executive branch of the government. The president is the chief legislator. He works with both houses, he or she works with both houses of Congress to pass new laws. Again, that dramatically affect day-to-day life. And the president is the chief justice. This is person or this this man or this woman um, appoints the men and women that make up our judicial branch. This is obviously federal judge appointments, but also Supreme Court justices, which obviously we're in the middle of right now. As you think through these things, I think this is a helpful list. I think I'm just getting this from the Constitution. Uh, but this, is, this as informed citizens, as people anchored in the kingdom of God I think you sit down with your family and say, okay, who, who is going to do this the best? Who is going to do this in a way that, that honors Christ, that, that will serve our country? How can, I, how can I live out this stewardship that God has given me? And one other thing I think that it's important to consider, and, and this is also important to consider um, in this election cycle, not just in terms of who you vote for, but how you talk about these things. Every political candidate is a person, okay? So, for example, Donald Trump and Joe Biden are humans. They're they're people. They have values. They have experiences that that frame who they are. But this is one that I want you to think about, these other two, that they're also symbols of something. And, And again, I think this is important not only in terms of how you think about them as a candidate, but how you talk about them in front of other people. What Donald Trump or Joe Biden symbolizes to you, they may not symbolize to someone else. And so just as as a believer, you need need to be careful and just in even how you talk about these things. Understand who you're talking to. Is it creating unity or understanding or is the symbolism of that person creating division? And then also these candidates, they're persons, they're symbols, and then they also represent a system. As I said, the executive branch and you know all these other roles, it's massive in terms of just kind of the systematic weight that this will uh, affect. So it's, it's, it's a person, it's a system, but it's also a symbol. Okay, like I told you in the beginning, I, I didn't want to tell you, what to do. I really just want you to think about how to do it. And I hope these three weeks with all of this has been somewhat helpful, at least to help you frame, may not have changed your mind in any way, that wasn't my goal, but it hopefully will frame how you think about these things and maybe how you converse with people who think differently than you do. This is an important stewardship, but I wanna close with this. It's not the most important stewardship. It's not ultimate we're ultimately talking here. I want you to hear this. I want you to feel the weight of this. We're ultimately talking here about a four-year election cycle. And you know what's going to happen in four years? There's going to be another one, and everybody's going to say, "This is the most important thing that's ever happened." I'm going to go ahead and tell you right now it's not the most important thing that's ever happened. This is an important stewardship, but it's a temporal stewardship, but there is a kingdom that is forever. There is a kingdom that is eternal. There is a kingdom that is ultimately weighty. And I was talking with a buddy this week about the passage Matthew 7:13 and 14. It's a, it's a daunting passage. It says, Enter by the narrow gate, for the gate is wide, and the way is easy that leads to destruction. And those who enter by it are many. But the gate is narrow and the way it's hard to lead to life. And those who find it are few. You know, we, we, we often don't talk about the final judgment, eternity. It's, it's so weighty. It's so hard. It's so big. It, it almost just crushes us to think about it. But we must frame our lives with this in mind. And, and, and what is Jesus telling us here? He's saying, look, the way is wide, it's easy. There's many that will find the way that lead to destruction. And I want you to hear this. Here's what happens. The crowd comes along and you go with the crowd. They're loud, they're boisterous, they're easy to listen to. and makes sense. Things like power, things like money, they grab your heart. And the voice of God, the voice of Jesus, the message of his kingdom, the hard gate, you don't find, you miss it. You stay on the big wide road. And I want you to this, this happens a lot. Jesus expected it to happen. These things aren't ultimate, but man, they wanna be. And they'll grab your heart like they are and they will lead you down here In the wide way, oh, my hope and prayer for us is that we in the midst of this noise would see the true king. He's not going to get a lot of coverage in your weekday media sources. You're not going to see a lot of him in the workplace. You may not even, may not even worry, depending on where you live, you may not even be in your home that much, but man, he is so ultimate and his kingdom is good. And he is a king unlike any other. You know all these kings, you know what they'll do? As soon as you turn on them, you're worthless to them and they'll cut you off. But Jesus is the kind of king, even when you turn on him, he pursues you and loves you and chases you down. May we look to him. May we anchor our lives in him and in him chiefly. Let's pray. Father, I pray for our church. I pray for my soul among these other believers. There's so many, there's so much noise. There's so many voices. Even Christianity, Father, Father, It's sometimes hard to see in a pure way. It can be so manipulated. There's a way it's manipulated on the left. There's a way it's manipulated on the right. Father, I pray that we would be the kind of people that see rightly the true Jesus. We would be the kind of sheep that listen for His voice. That we anchor our lives in Him. That we're concerned with kingdom things. Father, give us this grace. Continue to anchor us in the word of Christ among the people of Christ. Give us the kind of wisdom that even Imrianne has, that we need this. We're so susceptible without your people, without your word. The broad way is easy to find. Barabbas is easy to control, but Jesus demands our whole lives. His way is hard and narrow, but Father, I know, I believe you give us grace along the way, so Lord, increase our faith today, I pray in Jesus' name, amen. At this time, we're going to continue to anchor ourselves in Christ as we celebrate um, uh, a sacrament, an ordinance that he gave to his church, which is the Lord's Supper. And if you're a believer here today, if you've trusted in Jesus, if you're looking to Jesus as the anchor of your life, and if you let that be known in baptism, then I encourage you to take these elements as they come around here in a few moments. And you know, if you're not a Christian, if you came with a friend today, you're just checking it out, trying to see what Christians believe, I'm so glad you're here. But I do just wanna say at this time, just let these elements pass. This is not uh, for people that don't identify with Jesus. This is a a sacred ceremony for those that are calling upon the name of the Lord, that want him to be chief in their life. So as these times as we meditate on these things, uh, I'm just gonna invite you to to stay
0: in meditative sense
1: as Matt leads us in song and to take these elements and uh, hold on to them as we'll take them collectively here in a few moments.